Welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. Today, I chat with Augustina Sacerdote, who's the Global Head of Product Marketing and Content Marketing for Title at Square. Augustina is not only a product marketing leader, but a new mom. And we talk about how the value of integrating our personal and social lives at work is so important with this new transition. We also speak to many PMM topics, including positioning and driving real business outcomes. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. That's Clue with a K, the leading competitive enablement platform for product marketers who drive revenue for their business. Clue helps you collect, curate, and distribute competitive insights to enable sales and revenue teams to win more deals. Don't just compete, compete to win with Clue. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm here today with Augustina Sacerdote, the Global Head of PMM and Content Marketing for Square's title business, which is their music platform. Augustina has previously held head of marketing and growth roles at companies like NerdWallet, Fuzzy Pet Health, and Granular. Welcome, Augustina. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Mary. It's awesome to talk to you today. So let's start out with our favorite question of this season. And I know you have a special answer here, but what are you the most proud of? I would have to say my daughter. It took us, my partner and I, a long time to make her happen. We've gone through a very strenuous and expensive IVF process. And throughout the ups and downs of what that means, I learned a lot about myself and the ability to be vulnerable at work and in personal life. It's very hard to keep those separate when you're going through something as intense like that, because you're out for doctor's appointments every day, you're out for ultrasounds, hormonally, you feel terrible. And so it was a process that definitely took a toll, but has totally given me a new reason to to go to work, a, a new source of inspiration. And so for sure, that's probably what I would say. Five months ago, I would say something else, but she's, she's five months. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations. That's so amazing. She sounds just perfect. And thank you so much for sharing that. I know not a lot of people talk about the journey, and I think it's really important to hear about. Did you find that you were more open about it, talking about the journey while you were going through it to say your colleagues, or was it something that you felt more comfortable just sharing in private and just kind of interested in how you approached it? Yeah, my leadership philosophy and just generally how I build relationships, whether it's at work or in my personal life is based on authenticity. And so for me, that process was taking over in many ways, my mind and and my energy. And I am not a fan of compartmentalizing. That's what makes me really good at work. And it's also something I, I don't think is conducive, right? This whole notion of checking your personal stuff at work, primarily now when you can see my living room, you can see where I am, right? It, it, it humanizes us. Work has become a lot more human. And so for me, when anybody was asking me like, how are you doing today? Can you make this meeting? I can't because of X, Y, Z. And then I very quickly started realizing that a lot of people were going through something similar. And so the more I talked about it, the more comfortable I became, the more human I became to others, to my teams, to my stakeholders and it's life. And, and having, wanting to grow families is just a, such a basic human instinct that people could relate right away. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with the listeners here too. And I, 
Sure, you're a role model to so many more people than you realize. I just can't say how much I respect your approach and being real and open and honest. I think it really paves the way for a lot of women and men in kind of similar situations to just be able to talk about it. So all of this stuff we call life is happening. It's hard to show up to work every day without making sure people know about it or talking about it like it's not happening. So I'm I'm glad you took that approach and that it worked well and kind of fit into your overall leadership philosophy. That's really encouraging to hear. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And I think in a way, the pandemic has opened a lot of conversations that we would have thought are extremely personal in terms of mental health, in terms of feeling burned out, in terms of not having barriers between work and personal life. And so this is one way of what was affecting me at work. And it's great. I think overall product marketing is about empathizing with your audience. And so it's what I had to bring to the workplace at that time, but super happy. Now I'm dealing with all sets of other challenges, like getting enough sleep and making sure that I know when the right time to feed our solids are. So I'm happy to be moving on to a different set of challenges related to, to motherhood. That's great. Well, one thing you told me before the show started is that you have cute new glasses because your daughter just learned how to grab things. So you got a less expensive pair. So all of these work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's taking things and slamming them on the floor. It's very amusing to her. So uh, now I, I have an extra pair. That's so awesome. Well, Speaking of empathizing with your audience, like you mentioned, um, I'd love to hear more about your role at Square. And I understand you're actually brand new to the title team. So tell us all about it, what your scope is, what title's all about at Square. I'd love to hear more. Totally. So title is a music streaming company. I don't know. Most people probably either don't know what it is or they associate it with Jay-Z. Jay-Z was the original owner of it and Square acquired it back in April, I believe. And I joined Title. I was previously on the seller business, which is effectively Square's uh, small business unit, the teams that build the payment platforms, the point of sale products, etc. And I transferred over because I was a really big believer in the thesis behind the acquisition. I think it took a lot of people by surprise, but if you really think about it, 99% of artists are small businesses and they are trying to figure out how to grow their revenues, how to get a more sustainable, predictable source of income, trying to figure out commerce, trying to figure out their fan base. And so it made a lot of sense to me that Square was going to be able to provide that payments infrastructure, that knowledge of small businesses to the music industry. That was very exciting to me. And so, yeah, I jumped over to this side. It is very much a startup environment, which is something that I did prior to joining Square. And so in a way, I wanted to be back in an environment where we had to figure things out for the first time, build the team for the first time, kind of figure out what processes were going to work for title, what wasn't going to work from Square that we just had to reinvent for ourselves over here. And so right now, my role is, I I guess in a sentence, is to figure things out. We are trying to figure out what we're going to build from a consumer streaming business, what we're going to build from an artist 
side, right? If we are going to build these artist tools, we have to very deeply understand the pain points that we're trying to solve for. And so it's amazing for me because you have the financial backing of Square, the access to talent, access to great leaders from Square in a startup environment, doing something for music, which is a cause that has deeply influenced me personally. And so it's kind of like an ideal job, honestly, but it's, it's a lot more discovery heavy than perhaps what you would do at a mature kind of business. It sounds so fun. And are you a musician too? I'm not a musician. I spend a lot of money on musical instruments. They are not the same thing. thing. I've reminded by my wife every other day, but I love the most important moments of my life are marked with music. I know the song that my daughter was born to. The only thing I cared about in my wedding was music. We threw a karaoke party. And so it's something that I'm trying to get better at playing the guitar and playing the piano, but I would call myself like a very beginner hobbyist. Well, you look like you're living the brand. I see both the piano and the guitar in the backdrop. So I just love that. It's part of the image, Mary. We have to sell the dream here. Sell the dream. That's awesome. Well, I'd love to hear more about your journey to the role that you're currently in. So I think you're unique from a lot of the women that we've had on the show in that you're kind of new to product marketing in the last few years. So I'd love to unpack some of the other roles you've done in marketing that led you to this point and maybe even that aha moment where you decided, hey, I think I can do this product marketing thing. Let me give it a shot. So I started my marketing career in the services side. I did a little bit of advertising in New York first, and then I moved to a firm called Profit Marketing and Business Strategy Consulting. And that is where I learned effectively that being customer centric is in fact a business strategy. And there's a lot of growth that comes by prioritizing customer needs and having that reflected in your go-to-market decisions. And so I spent eight years there working across all types of industries, being exposed to all types of marketing problems and seemingly branding problems that then when you kind of peel the onion, it became a lot more related to the actual business decisions that just got manifested into brand. And I want to say 2015 or so, like a lot of people in San Francisco, I got the bug to join a startup and I took my first operating role as a head of marketing for an agriculture technology startup. And in agriculture, we were basically trying to build a farm management software company, something that didn't exist. It didn't have competitors. Competitors were effectively pen and paper. And so there, my role was a lot like product marketing, even if it wasn't called that, because we were trying to find product market fit, trying to understand exactly what to build in order to help farmers become better business managers. You know, historically, farmers have made decisions based on the agronomics of a farm, like what's going to grow best versus what's going to make me more money. And the work that I did there was a lot of customer interviews, a lot of personas. There are the types of farmers that will always adopt the latest technology. There are the types of farmers that want to see it play out first. And so a lot of the work that I was doing was in service of building a product because of the maturity of the product. That's the type of marketing that I was doing. And then we were trying to figure out 
our kind of go-to-market strategy and like, should we do Facebook ads and things like that? So I did a little bit of everything, managed marketing and growth for a number of other products and companies with varying degrees of success. But I think what guided me in all of these roles was what do customers need and how are we going to meet that need in the way that's different? And so when I was approached by Square to do product marketing, the work was the same. And so for me, I've never sort of veered super far from that tenet. And that key question is like, what do our audience need and why should they choose us to help them solve that? And so people laugh when they find out that PMM at Square was my first PMM job. It's a wonderful place to land, to learn PMM, just a little bit of a PMM plug for Square, but it hasn't changed. The maturity of the product, the scale perhaps dictates whether I spend a little bit more time on the go-to-market optimizing the funnel versus answering more basic questions like, what do we do here, right? At Tidal, we're very much in that early stage, like we could solve artists' issues by giving them better access to financial services. We can help them by giving them better access to commerce tools to sell merchandise more effectively, right? Based on what people listen to. And so, The execution and how you come up with those answers can vary based on your resources, your team structure, just the number of people that you have working with you. But at the end of the day, whether it's product marketing, whether it's brand marketing, whether it's growth, you really have to understand what's unique about your particular solution to that problem. And then, and is that problem big enough to kind of pay the bills? That's so cool. Well, if I could sum it up, it sounds like you had a lot of the tools in the toolkit, so to speak, that you've developed over the course of your career. So when you were approached for this product marketing role, it was kind of a no-brainer. It is what you've been doing all along, whether or not it was in your title or not. So that's super cool. I truly didn't know the difference between product marketing and marketing. I don't know if that's going to like totally expose me, but (laughs) Mind exploding. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, it sounds like too, because I was going to ask how you kind of ramped up as a leader, but it sounds like you've had all the components to it, which is super interesting. It sounds like one area you liked the most so far has been positioning. Can you talk a little bit about what draws you to positioning or why that's something you're so interested in? Yeah. And I think that's probably the area that I benefited the most from having really strong PM partners. That's something that previous to Square, I hadn't had that close partnering of product management and product marketing to bring something to market. And so in a way to answer your first question, that's where I had to ramp up and to just kind of like fake it till I made it effectively, figuring out how sprints are planned, what types of insights are needed by product managers, like where to plug in in terms of design conversations, things like that. Positioning to me is effectively becomes the blueprint for everything else, right? Understanding the pricing, the value props, why you're emphasizing certain messages over others and how you can displace the competition as a result of those positioning discussions then informs future work 
it informs where you spend from a go-to-market standpoint. It can even also inform brand marketing decisions, right? If we are a premium product, our brand marketing needs to reflect that as well. And so I like it because it's also sort of some of the positioning related frameworks tend to be the closest to business model frameworks. And I fundamentally believe that in order to be a successful product marketing manager, you need to understand and drive the financials of the business and those positioning decisions in terms of pricing and packaging. And should we uh, price per feature or price per use or what's the value metric? Like that has a ton of implications down market. And so I think that's where I like to spend most of my time. That's so interesting. And I really appreciate how you've talked about positioning being this foundational piece that affects everything from pricing to brand marketing, as you explained. And I have worked at many a company where they kind of slap it on at the end after the product is developed or after the company has been in market for five years, they're like, yeah, let's get that positioning statement going. So I think it's really great the way you outlined it, you know, in tandem with the product managers. And I've worked with some really strong product managers over the year too. And there's something about when they really get the positioning of the product that they're working out that just makes magic between the relationships. So I think that's really cool that you've had that experience and you've just benefited from it from day one of the product all the way through execution and and growth. So that's really important to hear. A couple of other things I wanted to dig into just on the PMM side that you've mentioned here today is I know that you're really passionate about getting to know the customer. You mentioned this earlier, and you've had some experience with this throughout your entire career, and also understanding kind of those emotional drivers behind purchase decisions. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that? I think it's really clear how it feeds into positioning and some of the other aspects that you mentioned, but where do you start? How do you start to understand customers with title as an example, or maybe with a past company that you've worked at? would love to hear some specifics. Mary, the first thing that I think is critical for this, and I like to see in the PMMs that are part of my team is some level of intellectual curiosity. Like you have to have some sort of interest in understanding how your particular customer spends their day and how this product fits into their broader goals. I don't know if it's been career limiting for me or not, but I try to take jobs that are personally interesting to me in industries that I see myself being a part of. So I'm a wannabe musician. I've been that since the sixth grade. I've tried to play the guitar. I've envisioned myself having a small business. I used to be in veterinary care. I was a pet parent. I'm still, I'm a pet parent, but you know what I mean? So like just having that initial interest, I think makes empathizing and wanting to learn more about the customer at a human level, a lot easier. So it starts with that for me. And then just making sure, you know, that you're planning out regularly as part of your quarterly plans, spending time with the people that are using your stuff and asking questions. I'm in a very privileged position where I can go to my favorite coffee shop and see the point of sale app that I used to work on. And so I can run the register for a little bit. I stream my music now using Tidal and it's really easy to pick out bugs. And it's really annoying when I find things like that. And so I think 
if trying to connect with your product from an end user standpoint is very helpful, having the discipline to ensure that you're staying close to your customers and not doing that as a sort of side project or if I have time, right? Like just every Monday, I, I have two or three customer calls and I just put on my calendar and I make sure I source those before. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it's not what only makes great product marketing, but great marketing as a whole is just really understanding the human side of things, right? At the end of the day, every decision is emotional. I truly believe that. And so if you can get to the first principles behind those purchase decisions and, and then have the courage to expose those and have the courage to follow those as you're developing a campaign or you're developing a product, I think you're on to something. So yeah, it's a mix of just being interested, having empathy and connecting as a human. Like, what is it that you're trying to do with as you listen to music? Music is a utility that powers your workouts. Is it an experience? So you tend to spend on headphones and so you believe in high quality. Is it a cause? Is it the art? And once you get to that and find enough people that share those beliefs, then everything else is a lot simpler. I love how simple you make it sound because even reading the question, I was <laughs> going to say this is so daunting, understanding the emotional fortitude of the customers as they're making their purchase decisions. But really it's about being curious using the products and talking to customers. And I think that if every executive could just have this on a sticky note on their computer, companies would be so much more profitable and so much more interesting. But it's so refreshing to hear at your level that you're still making the time to do that because I found kind of as people get higher up in the chain, they lose sight of what it's like to be in the customer's shoes and you'll get so many more insights from talking to them and being part of their journey than you would ever looking at a PowerPoint deck of all the research and data points. So thank you for sharing that. I just love that. What do you talk about on these calls with these customers? We talk about how their day is going, how they use the product. When I used to work on the point of sale app, I would literally run the register to kind of get a sense of how they were setting up their inventory, help them issue refunds, what they would like to see in the product that's not there, what was their latest problem with it? Have they recommended it? A lot of times I spend time trying to give them a little bit of a preview of what's coming down the pipe. What are their initial reactions, how they would talk about these things. And so a lot of times, for example, with my teams, I like to wait until we're almost finished with a beta to start planning the go-to-market because we use a lot of that feedback to really vet and think our creative executions. And so in a way during these calls, I'm kind of like also just pressure testing my own hypotheses all the time. So yeah. And taking care of my team is by far the two most important parts of my job. That's so cool. Yeah. Plus one on the messaging piece of it. So I think it's so interesting to talk to customers and actually hear the language that they're using to describe their day in the life or how they're using the product. And it's so much different often than our marketing jargon or things that you can actually connect on. So I really respect that you're doing that. That's super cool. Another area that you alluded to that I wanted to dive into a bit more is really having PMMs driving business impact and making sure that those business decisions are always really tightly aligned with business outcomes. Can you share how you prime your team to get there and how you have that seat at the table? 
Yeah. So again, to me, this is the number one criteria for success. If your decisions from a PMM perspective are not driving towards the strategic objectives of the business, the financial objectives of the business, you're not going to be taken seriously. It sounds rough, but I truly believe that. And so with my team, I would say I I do it in a number of ways. One is we spend a lot of time with our finance and strategy teams trying to understand how we make money. What is our business model? What are the drivers of revenue? What are the drivers of our costs. We're never going to have to be as good as modelers as the finance team is, but I do expect PMMs to be able to say like, okay, if we improve this top line metric, this is the effect that we can see in the bottom line. Or if we reduce churn by 2%, then this is what it does for our ARR at the end of the year, for example. And so speaking with finance regularly, super important. I also encourage the team to report on business metrics. And so at Square, for example, we have a lot of dashboards that everybody has access to on a regular basis. They're responsible for bringing it down to the PMM team, talking about what's working, what's not working. What do we think is happening? Like, are we off goal? And if we are off goal, for a particular month, uh, quarter, what was it? And trying to stay very close in our day-to-day to those metrics, right? So by the time the quarter ends, we're not kind of crossing our fingers that we're going to make goal. Like we should know way before the quarter ends how we're doing. And I also encourage all of our PMMs, I think even like our templates call for defining what are the metrics that we are looking to move and how are we going to measure success and under what time horizons. And so speaking the language of revenue or acquisition or retention or cross-sell, upsell, lifetime value, all of that should be just as common as the four Ps or like who's our target and who's our persona, right? Like there's no reason why marketing talk or product marketing talk should feel fluffier or just more like aspirational than the numbers at the end of the day. If you want to advocate for more resourcing for your team or for your campaigns, you have to be able to say, okay, like, what is it going to get the business? And again, like pricing decisions, what you decide to charge for something with what frequency and for what features and understanding that willingness to pay has tremendous implications on the business and and how you go to market. So that's one of the pieces of the PMM toolkit that we spend a lot of time on because I do want my team to be the experts in that, like the customer willingness to pay. And then how able are we with our current product offering to capture that willingness to pay. Those two are two very separate questions that sometimes don't get answered, you know, thoroughly and in tandem. So it's a bit of just demystifying also numbers. I think people are like, oh, you're in marketing, like you're a creative and you love ads. And I'm like, I do, but I also like numbers and can look at a PNL and tell you what's going on. Marketing is so much more analytical, I think, than people realize. Yeah, I would say my job's probably 90% in the numbers or reporting and 10% creative or yeah, people would assume that's flip-flop. So that's really great that you really inspire your team. And I think one thing that I know there are a lot of numbers to look at, but 
you mentioned some really important ones, revenue, ARR, annualized recurring revenue, for those that haven't heard that before, just making sure whatever the numbers that you're reporting out on are ones that the CEO cares about, ones that you're hearing about in the earnings report if you're public, or ones that your business is constantly reporting on. If you're sitting there just reporting back on retweets and website visits and the kind of vanity metrics, I think those are important for a funnel view, but you ultimately need to get down to the brass tacks of what's important. So I'm glad you're really instilling that in your team. And it sounds like it's making headways throughout the whole organization because of that. And I think it's a good way of vetting your marketing tactics. If you can't explain what needle a particular initiative is going to move and how, you should reconsider either how that initiative is designed or whether you should be doing that at all. That's also a big part of evaluating a marketing plan is to say like, okay, you're telling me that you have all these initiatives, let's say to drive awareness of a feature. How, how are we going to bring that down to conversion and to revenue, lifetime value, revenue per user? And you'd be surprised how much time we end up talking about metrics and goals as part of the plan and as part of even a creative brief, aside from the actual execution or the creative insight, it's probably a 50-50 split at least. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and inspiring. And I hope for other product marketing teams out there. So now I'd love to move to the rapid fire questions and just get your take on a couple of hot topics. So first of all, who have been your strongest PMM or marketing mentors throughout your I would have to say they are, I have a few. His name is Chan. He was a partner at Profit and the first operator at the AgTech startup, you know, Sid, two mentors of mine, probably the strongest. Neither of them were marketers and they're not marketers, but they always understood the value of marketing and what it could do for a business. And I think that's where I got my initial kind of lens and they believed in marketing but also instilled in me that desire to drive impact. They didn't teach me any marketing frameworks or anything about personas or anything like that, but they taught me that the most valuable marketing is one that drives behavior. That's great. And they sound like good sounding boards for the mantra you talked about earlier, which is being able to explain what you're doing and if it's moving the needle to others in the organization, if you can't explain how it's making an impact, does it even matter? So maybe having non-marketing mentors is the way to do that, telling them about initiatives. <laughs> you know, the most important teachers in my life have been people that think differently from what I think and how I think. And so they have had the strongest impact, right? People that agree with me or would go the same route that I go are awesome to have as support and psychologically positive encouragement, but in terms of learning and not second guessing, but like really trying to pressure test my own thinking, it would have to come from people that don't initially see the world through the same filter that I do. That's refreshing. <laughs> I think with all the, the ways that we're targeted now with media and advertising to have specific times where you're going outside of the box to get different perspectives, we can all learn a thing or two from that. And what would you recommend about finding a mentor? It sounds like you had great working relationships with both of these mentors, but what would you recommend in terms of others that are looking to get a mentor type relationship? 
One of the things that I've done at Square, I, I remember when I joined, I was really scared of joining a large organization. I know that relative to other tech companies, Square isn't that large, but it felt very big to me coming out of the startup world. All of a sudden I was in a company with 3000 people and I was super intimidated. And I remember seeing our head of sales in a meeting and seeing her in a second meeting. And every time she spoke in a meeting, I was very impressed by the sharpness of her commentary and yet how approachable she was. And I just slacked her one day. If you're in a company where you're just exposed to different people that you might not work with every day, Slack to me has become the great equalizer because like we're all in front of our computers and you can all get a message and, and it's a lot less scary to send a message. And so I remember just slacking her and saying like, hey, I'm a lowly PMM here, but I just saw you present on XYZ and I would just love to hear more about how you organize your presentations. And we've been taking it from there. Um, so just not being afraid to reaching out to somebody you admire, you know, it's very flattering to receive such flacks or messages. I don't get them that often, but I would be very flattered <laughs> to get them. And so Whenever I read something that's interesting, social media has made it so easy for us to share our thoughts and our perspectives. I just reach out. The worst thing that can happen is probably not getting a response. So I tend to gravitate towards asking people how they came up with something that I think is cool. That's great. I love the specific ask too. It's a little less overwhelming than saying, hey, you want to be my mentor forever and ever? And <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what mentoring somebody means other than providing really actionable advice on a particular question and doing that repeatedly. That's great. What about career? What would you say is the one thing that has been the most important in terms of growing your career? I would have to say that it's been to never betray my personal values and what matters to me. So relationships matter. Commitment matters. Loyalty matters to me. Having fun matters to me. And I've had the tremendous privilege of being able to filter opportunities through that lens. And so when I find myself in a work environment where I don't have to compromise my personal values or what matters to me as a human, I tend to do better. And I tend to want to spend more time thinking about the problems that I'm tasked with solving. So some people call it gut. Some people call it that intuition. Some people call it a moral compass, whatever, however you access it. I betrayed that once and it's a professional decision that I regret to this day. And so I found that in all of the positions that I've had, I've been the most successful when I haven't had to compromise those. And so spending a little bit of time getting really familiar with what those are is a really good investment. That's so, so important and so helpful to hear for so many people. Thank you for sharing that. Knowing your own values and then seeking that out with another company and never changing. <laughs> That's really, really important. What about networking? Love it, hate it? I hate it. I am a, <laughs> a very strong INTJ. 
I recharge on my own. And so socializing, reaching out to others is not something that comes to me naturally. My wife is a lot better at that. And so I usually tag along, but I guess for me, networking is valuable when you can establish a relationship in which you can get something from that, but also provide something from that. And so I don't know, I I try to be selective about what I'm expecting from people that I don't know. And I always try to give back, you know, because there's going to be a time where I need to find access to something or get an answer to something that I don't have. And so I do it because I know that I can help somebody out, but this is extremely draining for me. (laughs) That's totally fair. One-on-one might be the way to go for a lot of us moving forward too. Yep. All right. Well, last question for you. Why product marketing? To me, it is the most interdisciplinary, interesting job you could have because you are dealing with technical people. You are dealing with creative people that bring your ideas and campaigns to life. You are super in touch with what drives the business as we've talked about. And most importantly, you're also very responsible for staying in touch with the end user, right? Like the the people that you do it all for. And so being the hub of that wheel really uses, demands all parts of my brain and is the right, I'm a Gemini, so I get bored easily. And so product marketing keeps me on my toes, you know, in one meeting, I'm looking at product copy in the app. And in the next meeting, I'm thinking about like, should we offer this at $20 or $10 a month? Um, Those two are very, very different tasks. And so the ability to jump from super different projects with very different implications and time horizons and working with so many different people that are really good at very different things just keeps me constantly engaged and learning. Wow. Well, it doesn't get much better than that. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much for being here today. Love your journey and congratulations on your new baby. We're so excited for you. That is such a wonderful new chapter. And just thanks for all of your insights that you've shared today. You're an inspiration to so many people out there. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mary. This was a blast. Quick plug for Square. We are hiring PMMs at Square, at Cash, at Title, all across the board. So please feel free to, to take a look and I'll network, even though it's draining, I'll do it. I'm always on the hunt for awesome people. So thank you again. Absolutely. And it looks like you posted about some of the roles on LinkedIn recently. So check it out, check out Augustina's profile and see what's up there. And just thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Stay in the know about your competitive landscape with Clue. Share real-time insights across your organization with Clue's dynamic battle cards delivered everywhere your sales reps live through integrations with Salesforce, Slack, HighSpot, and many more. With Clue, you'll never let your sales team be blindsided by competitors again. Crush your competition with Clue. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe, share, and hey, give us a rating if you have a moment to. Next week, I get a chance to speak with Susan Spark-Park, the head of product marketing for Oculus at Meta, 
the company formerly known as Facebook. Can't wait for this conversation. Thanks so much for all of your support and catch you next week.